0: No, often Mark just um, goes from like leading worship into speaking, Um, and I just want us to appreciate him this morning because he's a gift to us as the body of Christ and as this family. And he's been listening to God this week about what God wants to say to us and how God wants to encourage us. So, yeah, can we just honour him as he speaks this morning? Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. yeah, we've got a different kind of mic situation going on. We're going very old school. It's all wired, wired up. I'm not used to that. Um, I'm very excited about what I'm going to share with you this morning. Uh, and I'm excited because it, I, think, I think it really it's really going to help us move into and, and move more into our season of, of preparing us for... Uh, for evangelism, I'm not going to shy away from that word. I'm going to use that word, evangelism. Okay, and That word is about reaching out to others with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a good thing, isn't it? Okay, let's say that a little bit louder. It is. Yes, it is. Come on. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, and, and I believe that 2019, we're really going to see a, an outworking of all that we're preparing else, ourselves for over these next number of months. And that we're going to be a mindset. Um, for some of us is going to have to do a real kind of 180 that that it it really isn't about uh, us just gathering together on a Sunday but actually it's about us reaching people who have one destination right now and we want to change that destination to one that is heavenly. That's a good thing isn't it? Absolutely, it's a very good thing. I was I was just walking through Headingley on Saturday, and I haven't done that for a while now, and, um, and, and it was kind of getting into the afternoon, uh, probably five o'clock, something like that. And if anybody knows Headingley at all, then you're aware of the Otley Run. Are you aware of the Otley Run? Okay, so that's traditional... Th- We used to do the barbecues on a Friday night, yeah, that that was on that Otley run, and they were really successful. But my point is this, um, I I, I saw, obviously I saw the humorous side of it, you know, they're all dressed up, you know, the boys are dressed up as women and all that kind of stuff, and they're dressed as chickens or little Bo Peep and all that kind of thing. You've seen them all, haven't you, you know, some wearing less than they should, and, um, and and, and it's all funny, but then there was a serious side to it. As I'm walking through, I'm hearing, I'm hearing profanities. I'm hearing misogynistic things. I'm, I'm seeing people smoking. I'm seeing whatever else they've been doing. I'm seeing people a little bit worse for wear. And I'm like, my goodness, Jesus loves you. He loves you. And, and I want to love you because I want to be able to tell you where, where might be a better destination for you. Because at present, their lifestyle, obviously I don't know all of them. Some of them may have received Jesus into their hearts and they're just kind of slipping a little bit while they're at uni and what have you. But I reckon a lot of them probably don't yet know Jesus. And and the thing that really took them is our responsibility to tell them. Not so many yeses. It's our responsibility to tell them. Uh, those of us who believe. And we did used to do that in a very practical way on the barbecue nights. You remember those those who've who've been around for a long time on the steps of of Old Ashwood Centre. And and hundreds and hundreds of of students used to come through, didn't they? And they were so grateful. And it gave us an opportunity to to speak into their lives. And and a lot of them would Let's pray for them. Uh, And a lot of them would want to come in and have a look and and investigate the building. And and there was a sense of, of something of God. In that building as well that they they could tangibly feel. At least that's what some of them said to me over those number of years that we did that. Now obviously being here in this school, it's a little bit out of the way. It's not exactly in the heart of of the community. Um, So it means that we're going to need to be a little bit more uh, um, creative in how we reach out into our community here and also as well, I'm going to be touching upon this over the next few weeks, your neighbours and your friends and your work colleagues and what have you. Um, and I, but I believe over the next few months we're going to be found, given a good foundation on how we're going to be able to do that in 2019. We've got to think outside the box and we've got to think creatively. How do we reach a, 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 a culture that, that doesn't even have a basic biblical understanding? Uh, you know, a lot of them probably don't even know the Lord's Prayer anymore, uh, and some of them even equate Jesus to Santa, etc., etc. So we've got to think outside the box. And so today, um, I think uh, Ian said it last week, he said Psalm 18, uh, the whole of Psalm 18 is repeated in, was it Samuel 1 or 2 Samuel? And so if it's repeated, if God's repeating it, he's saying this is really important. And I'm going to repeat myself this morning because if you've read any of my blogs or if you went to Holt College over the last few years, um, you'll, have, you'll have read or have, or have heard uh, Discipleship 101. It was a series that I, I did all about discipleship and, and actually about how, how we should respond to being a disciple. So I make no apologies. I'm actually going to uh, uh, repeat some of the information that, that I've put down there because I think it's so, so important. And for those of us who have been kicking around Christianity for a long time, you may think you know it, you may think you're on it, and and you may very well indeed have that as a reality, but I think all of us need reminding of the basics of of why we do what we do, why we believe what we believe. And I, I always find myself coming back to those basics because we so easily can forget, can't we? Well, I can, anyway. So the next three times I speak, so this week, next week, and then in a couple of weeks after that, um, I'm going to be going through three different themes. And today, I want to be talking about making disciples. So yes, your mind is probably going to the Matthew uh, uh, 28 um, passage of Scripture, and we'll read that in a moment. Um, next week, I'm going to be uh, talking about loving others, and I'm going to be using the bit of Scripture, uh, love your neighbor as yourself and and the context to which that is applied as well and then for that third week that i speak i'm going to be talking about telling i've entitled it telling stories that that that, you know now that we recognize who we are what we are that, that we are to reach others how then do we begin to share that story with others in a way that is tangible, is uh, realistic, is makes sense, that doesn't use any Christianese. I, I I get I get a little bit cringy when I hear Christianese being used to those who don't believe, or those who have no knowledge of scripture. Do you know what I mean by Christianese? You know, fellowship. Who uses the word fellowship outside of church? I I, I hadn't I hadn't even used, there was a word that you used when we first started dating. A lot. Like, I've never I don't really hear that. What was it now? can't remember what other words can you think about that we use in church that we don't use outside of church the blood. the, the washed by the blood yeah you know yeah. you just need to come to church so you're washed by the blood what you know might be true might be theologically be true but really what else do, do, we, do we use the lamb, the lamb that was slain it's like come to church we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see the lamb that was slain you're gonna you're gonna You're going to sacrifice a lamb? Are you kidding me? What else do we use? Give me another another phrase or words that that we use. What's that? Sanctified. Sanctified. Difficult word to understand. Nobody uses sanctified outside of a church context. Difficult to understand. Any more. Any more words that we might use. What's that? Repentance. Repentance. Again, not a word that's often used. Don't really understand it. And when people do use the word repentance, they often disassociate it with the Christian uh, so you repent of that attitude, we might hear. We might hear. Um, but what repentance is a turning around towards something, not just a stopping what you're doing. So within a Christian context, repentance is turning away from what you're doing and towards Jesus. It's not just going off and doing something else that's just as bad for you. So... Um, uh, I've gone off a bit of a tangent, but, but I, just, I just want us to really get, grasp this idea that as we reach out, we, we've got to think differently about the words that we use and the approach that we use that, that is really real for people. Yes, we use the reality of, of where they're heading, uh, um, uh, but we, 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 we put it in a different way, in a different context. All right, I'm going to read Matthew 28, because this is kind of the, the basis of today's, today's talk. So let me read. I'm reading from verse 16. You, you'll know it. You'll, 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 for those of us who've been around a while, but I'm going to be reading from the Passion translation. Meanwhile, the eleven disciples heard the wonderful news from the woman. The woman. Uh, there's a context to this, but we'll leave it at that. And left for Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had arranged to meet them. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. But some had lingering doubts. I find that. Sorry, I find that quite um, reassuring. That these people who spent time with Jesus still had lingering doubts. You know, they were fallible human beings. They'd seen miracles, signs and wonders, yet they still had lingering doubts about what was going to happen. Then Jesus came close to them and said, all the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority. Remember, this is his authority. He's giving to each and every one of us who believe. Go in my authority to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of who, guys? In the name of the Father Father and The the Son and... And teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget that I'm with you every day, even to the completion of this age. I'm I'm so happy that Jesus is with me every day. Are you happy that Jesus is with you every day? I'm happy that he also forgives me, because if he's with me every day, he knows all of me. So here's, here's a task. Before we can make disciples... Okay, and that is what that is talking about. Going, my authority, go make disciples. We, we, we need to be a disciple ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Every single one of us. We are we are we reflecting the Christ-like life? Or at least are we trying our best to? That's that's what the the thing is, this is all about. Are we are we prepared to be a disciple are you prepared to to honor and submit to somebody other than Christ to to go I I want to I want to be discipled by you are we prepared to be that there's a saying uh, uh, you'll have heard it it's probably not PC these days but it's not over till the fat lady sings maybe you have to change that it's not over till the slightly overweight lady has stopped Using her voice, I don't know. It's a, now, that saying comes from. It comes from the grand opera, uh, in which in which uh, quite often an overweight woman, a larger woman, would sing the. What's that? It was always the soprano. The soprano. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Large lady. She'd sing the final aria, wouldn't she? And that's that's the final song in the opera. Okay. And that saying simply means this: it means this. Don't assume the outcome before the activity has been completed. How often do we assume things about people or situations? And some of you may know the other famous phrase, don't make an out of you and me. Okay? Can I say it on video? Don't make an ASS out of you and me. That's assume. Okay? Don't assume the outcome before the activity has been completed. It's, it's, like, it's like it's a proverb, isn't it? Of, of caution regarding expectations and patience. That there are expectations... We, we, need to, we need to just keep them to ourselves and we need to be patient to see what happens, what's going to happen. But I don't think this caution necessarily applies to uh, the concept of Christian discipleship. The, 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 there's a guarantee from God, there's a guarantee from God concerning all those who follow him through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? There's, there's a guarantee of where you're going, what you're doing, etc. Uh, and when we're talking about discipleship, I suggest that we adopt the mindset and the lifestyle of it's not over until it's over. Okay, so when we're talking about discipleship of someone who follows Christ, we're talking about a potential lifelong commitment. That's what discipleship is. a so potentially it's a lifelong commitment. It's not something that comes and goes in seasons, although there may be certain other contexts for that, but, necessarily, but generally it's a lifelong commitment. When, when we come to faith in Christ... When we receive his salvation, it's just the beginning. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's, it's not the end. It's, it's a high point, certainly, but it really is just the start. It's the start of our character and who we are. From the moment that we pray a genuine prayer of of repentance, so using that word, and, and, and confess Jesus as Lord of our life. Again, what does that mean to somebody who doesn't know Christianity, Confess Jesus as Lord. What are you talking about? But we know what that means. When we say that, when we do that, we begin a journey then, a transformation and maturing that lasts an entire lifetime. Would you, do you agree with that? In, can somebody get me some water, please? Will that be all right? Coffee's run out. In Paul's letter to the Philippian believers, this is Paul from the Bible, um, he, he, he was thanking and encouraging them for their faith and, and the relationship they enjoyed with them. And he encourages them with the truth. That's important for us to know and remember. So I'm going I'm to read, read from Philippians 1 verse 6. I pray, thank you, with great faith for you. Because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, Amen. It has an exclamation point at the end of that. So, so it, you know, it's, it's important. What a promise. What an encouragement that is. Even though Paul, he was expressing that idea of this lifelong commitment to, to people centuries ago in a different land. I think this, the same God... Is at work in us as well. And expressing and, and, and saying that we are, we are maturing. There is a process of maturation going on. Because God is faithful. He, he finishes what he starts. And if he started a good work in you, he will finish it. And by the Holy Spirit, God will complete that work in us. We're, we're, we're a work in progress. But we're a work in, in the master's hands. And, and I'm, really, I'm really good with that. I'm really good with that. Later in his letter to the Philippians, and in fact it's in chapter 3, Paul compares human achievement uh, with the absolute worthlessness of those achievements in light of the righteousness that God provides in Christ. So in other words, whatever you do on this earth, however good and glorious and great you might think it is, aside from Christ, it's worth nothing. Aside from Christ, it's worth nothing. Now, Paul uses his life in this instance as an illustration. He, he acknowledges his, his total need and, and desire for the righteousness of Christ to be, I use another word we don't find anywhere else, imputed into him. When's the last time you used the word imputed outside of a church context? All right. What that means is that he knows the divine nature of Jesus, the divine nature of Jesus is going to flow through him and inhabit him. Okay, there's a strong connection. That's what impute means, basically. At the same time, Paul acknowledges a reality that he hasn't arrived yet. Paul, Paul, who, let's not forget, wrote most of the New Testament. Okay, and we get a lot of our teaching from him. He, he acknowledges that he's a work in progress. And he continues to press on towards the goal of complete maturity. Let's read, let's read Philippians 3 verse 12 onwards together. I admit, this is Paul, right? I love the fact, this guy who takes up so much of the New Testament, who, who we take so much teaching from, is so humble in who he is in, in, in Christ and who he is and what more he's got to do. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. But I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. Don't you love that? I run with passion into his abundance. How many of us are running with passion? It's a rhetorical question, don't answer. Uh, But it's just something to test the heart with. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past, as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. It's cool, isn't it? Let's break down some of Paul's points then. He's saying no one is perfect in this life. No one is perfect. No one has, in quotes, arrived But we're all a work in progress. That should be quite comforting for you. Certainly comforting for me to know that there's so much more to to mature into. Because, you know, my, my daughter turned 13 just a few days ago. I still, in my brain, I'm still 22 years old. I don't know why 22, maybe something particularly good happened when I was 22. But in my mind, I'm 22 years old. My body and my birth certificate tells me I'm 43. Um, and, 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 I, and I'm like, how on earth am I mature enough to have a 13-year-old daughter? And another son who's at big school. And, and you know, it, it blows my mind. And I thank God for, for what he's done in me and through me since I became a Christian, it has enabled me to help my children be who all that they are. By the time I was Noah's age, my parents had divorced. Uh, I, I'd stopped seeing my dad and now haven't seen him consequently since. And, and so you could say, you know, home to home, and you could say, you know, to a point, my, my, my childhood was ripped apart, cast asunder. It was, it was not overly positive. There were some amazing times, but not some great times. Um, I have an opportunity now with my children, to to give them a different kind of life. And I'm so thankful for that. So grateful for that. But I still think, blimey. Thank you, Jesus, because I don't know how I'd do this without you. Uh, So I'm a work in progress is is, is the point I'm making. Jesus, this is the point Paul makes, Jesus has made a claim on our lives. He's got you. Okay? Every one of you who believes, every one of you who's turned to Jesus... Okay, repented of all that you're doing wrong and turned to Jesus. He's got you. He's holding you tight and will never let you go. You can push away from him, certainly, but he will never let you go voluntarily. In other words, you are not orphans. You're not an orphan. You're not on your own. Jesus is with you, always. You are not. An orphan. And here's another point. We need to let the past... Okay, in fact, this is a repetitive thing, actually, that, 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 gets, that says quite a bit in, in, in scriptures. We need to let the past stay in the past. And we need to focus on the future. Let the past stay in the past. We learn from it, certainly, but we don't dwell in it. When I was writing that sentence, um, it reminds me that sometimes in church I hear about the good old days. You know, what it used to be like. Uh, it's funny, isn't it? The further you look into the past, the, the rosier your spectacles become. You know, sometimes the rosier your spectacles become. And, and it's like, well, but we're not there now. We're w- right where we are right now. And, and we work with what we've got right now. And, and, and we believe we, we move forward with what we've got right now and that we will grow and we'll mature and we'll do all those things. If that was good. That was great. And we honour it and we love it and we bless it. But we move forward with what we've got right now. It says we must, must focus on, it's another point of Paul's, we must focus on the heavenly goal of God and press on towards that goal. Living out our salvation each and every day. And I say that we live out our salvation each and every day. And so if we're moving forward and our salvation is in the past, we've left that behind, well, that's impossible, isn't it? Because, because we're still alive in Christ. So actually, we're live, our salvation isn't stuck in the past. We, we, we acknowledge that actually our salvation means an, an ever-increasing maturity uh, and a movement into the kingdom of God and out of the kingdom of darkness. Discipleship then, it's, it's for those who follow Christ as a, as a lifelong process. Teach us to let go of this world, let go of the past and move where? Move forward in our growth Um, and maturation, whatever the word is, mature, mature, um, you know when you look at a word and it now looks wrong, uh, mature, I'm going to say that, we become more like Christ. And in fact, in fact, our our lifelong commitment to, to maturing and being more like Christ won't be over until we step into eternity. At that point, at that point, we'll be made as perfect as God sees us from the moment we gave our lives to him. And then, and then, the fat lady will have, at last, sung. <laughs> so with all this in mind, we might ask ourselves, how are we going to be perfect at this discipling others business, if, if us, ourselves, if we're nowhere near the finished article? Should we, should we really just give up? Really, we acknowledge we're not great, we're not the best, we're not perfect. We've got a lot of growing up to do. Um, should we should we just ignore one of the direct commands of Jesus? Should we let others that we see more able, or we perceive to be more able, disciple others? Well, the answer is what, folks? No, no, and I've put it in capitals. So there you go, no. I'm shouting it at you. Incidentally, by the way, another command of, of Jesus, uh, uh, which is the one I'll cover next week, is, is to love our neighbours as ourselves. That's another command of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He doesn't make many, but he makes some very important ones. And to love our neighbours as ourselves, I'll just give you a little hint, it means being comfortable in our own skin. Because if you don't love yourself, then how can you love others? Yeah. Yes. Love, love your neighbours as yourself, Jesus says. But I'll, I'll cover more of that next week. So, we're not perfect in everything we do. Uh, and and, and we, remember, we remember that Paul, you know, who wrote you know, most of the New Testament, said that about himself. But what we do is we crack on. We, we, we crack on. And, and, and we do our best to be a good teacher we, we, and, and, and wise friend. We, we all have... The Holy Spirit living within us. Those of us who believe, those of us who have given our lives to Christ and received his hope, we've all got the Holy Spirit living within us to guide us and direct us as we reach out to others. I often um, go into some meetings sometimes, some are more difficult than others. And, and I go, I haven't got a clue how to deal with that. That's one of those times where I, where I, I feel 16. I, I, I feel, like, how, how, am I, how am I, why are they looking to me to help them in this? I, I know nothing. You know, that devil starts whispering in your ears, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and, and I have to, I, I have to say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me, help me feel the right things, say the right things, do the right things. And I'm going to tell you every single time he doesn't let me down. And I have people coming up to me going, Mike, you're so wise. And I go, Pfft. <laughs> not. <laughs> the Holy Spirit within me is. Yes. But as long as I'm willing to pray that prayer and to listen to his voice, then I can do amazing things and say amazing things. things. Things come out of my mouth and I go, where did that come from? Of course, when I'm in front of the person, I'm being very wise. But inside we <laughs> go, where did that come from? Hey, well, what? You know you you get home and I say said, "Catherine, I said something really good <laughs> um, okay, with that aside, discipleship does come at a cost though here's here's the, th- here's the thing here's where it gets a little bit tough for us okay it comes at, it comes at a cost okay for those of us who are, are more introvert than extrovert it comes i would I would argue that it comes at a greater cost because discipleship involves people and connecting, and as i've <laughs> I've, I've confessed many a time I've realised I'm actually an introvert uh, and that, that I like my cave and I like to close I like to roll the stone in front of my cave and switch on the candle and, uh, <laughs> and, and, re- and read my book and, and I, don't, I don't want I don't want anybody else there whereas Kathy is an extrovert she, she, she thrives on the energy of people being around her she, I get exhausted Kathy gets revitalised so, so for some of us, in different ways, I guess, discipleship may or may not seem like a greater cost. But for me, I, I acknowledge it's a greater thing. It's a greater cost for me. Um, let me let me read uh, scripture is always good to to make a, that that point. Um, and, and I want you to bear in mind these are Jesus' words. Okay, these aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. I'm mentally translated and there's always a bias in translation, but I think every translation you read pretty much says the same thing. Okay, I'm going to read from, where am I reading from? Luke 14 from verse 25. As massive crowds followed Jesus, he turned to them and said, Jesus turned to them and said, when you follow me as my disciple, you must put aside your father your mother, your wife, your sisters, your brothers. Yes, you will even seem as though you hate your own life. Oh, that makes you feel a bit uncomfortable in your seat, doesn't it? This is the price you'll pay to be considered one of my followers. And anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross cross, he's not talking about a necklace around his neck, is he? He's not talking about sharing some jewellery. He's talking about sharing the pain and the anguish and, and the burden that the cross put upon him. If you experience it as his own, or he cannot be considered to be my disciple. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost you. For who would construct a house before first sitting down to estimate the cost to complete it? Otherwise he may lay the foundation and not be able to finish. The neighbors will ridicule him saying, look, look at him. He started to build but he couldn't complete it. Have you ever heard of a commander who goes out to war without first sitting down with strategic planning to determine the strength of his army to win the war against a stronger opponent? If he knows he doesn't stand a chance of winning the war, the wise commander will send out delegates to ask for terms of peace. Likewise, unless you surrender all to me, giving up all you possess, you cannot be one of my disciples. There's so much more to say about that. and I want it to be a little bit more positive. That He's speaking in some ways in hyperbole. He's saying, I need you to commit to me as much as it would be if you had to sacrifice all that you hold dear. He's not. He's not. He's not asking you to sacrifice that, but he's saying to be my disciple. That's that's how serious a business this is. Does that seem a little bit more positive? He's he's just saying this is really serious. Being a disciple isn't. It isn't something that that you 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 choose on a whim, and it isn't a game, and and it isn't it isn't joining a movement. And it doesn't mean joining a social club or just simply turning over a new leaf. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is, is the act of giving our life away so that actually we'll find it again. The Bible is, it seems to be full of paradox, you know, those who are weak will be strong and, and all that. And, and, but what is, is give your life over to me and you'll be giving it back so much, so, so much more. Press down, shaking together and all that kind of stuff, pouring over. Just give it all to him and see what happens. But that's the, that's the step, isn't it? That's the, that's the tentative step. That's the, oh my goodness, that will mean so much to me. But that's what Jesus asks of ourselves. Being, being a disciple of Jesus is giving our life away so that we find it. It's, it's the adventure of a lifetime, actually, that goes beyond our wildest dreams. And, and it, it joins us to the universal body of Christ that transcends time and space. There's a certain series starting on telly tonight about an individual that transcends time and space. Well, you can be that, that, that time Lord right here, right now by, by, by giving over all that you are uh, and letting Jesus do so much with you. And you'll enter into a kingdom that literally has no end. It's a, it's a serious business to honour those whom you've received as teacher and submit your life to. I sat down with Ian Russell the other day and uh, normally we sit down and we say, how's it going there? How's it going here? Uh, and little things I can help you with. Uh, and we have a good old chinwag. It's all lovely and all nice and we go away and I'm certainly strengthened and encouraged by things. But this last time I spoke, I'm not going to go too much into detail about it. It went, it went in a different way. It, it went in a very deep way uh, for me in revealing some things about me towards Ian that I hadn't expected. Uh, and he... It, it balled, one of the things boiled down to this, I, I I find it... I have to get into the habit of submitting to, to somebody else. Let me rephrase that. I'm trying to... I have to... Learn what it, this is better. I have to learn what it is to really, have, really allow somebody to speak into my life in a, in a tangible and realistic way. I thought I was good at doing that already. But I realised actually I'm quite self-sufficient. I'm very independent. And again, I, without going <laughs> into too much detail, I think that comes from the childhood that I had. That I had to be dependent upon myself and no one else because I couldn't rely on a father figure. Because he wasn't there. And Ian is, is like that father figure to me, but I didn't realize it until that moment. Am I going to let him into my life in a real and tangible way that means he will prod and poke in places that are very painful? And I don't mind, I don't want prodding and poking, thank you very much. I, I put them under lock and key for a purpose. Um, but I've got to, I, he's not going to do that without me allowing him to. I've got to learn to allow him to do that. That's what being a disciple to somebody is. It's letting them in in a real and tangible way. Um, it's a serious business, isn't it? To, to submit your life to somebody else, to enable them to do that, to get into the habit of calling them up. Um, and therefore it's a serious business for us to then disciple others in the ways of Jesus. I had a whole section here about Kind of the truth of the word and, and following the truth of the word and, 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 and what that means. But, but the, when we disciple others, we, we have to be biblically honest with them as well. So, so yes, we have all this Christianese words that we might use about church. But when it comes to foundational things in scripture, we have to be honest with people too. And authentic with people. And and I think actually people would appreciate that more than you're trying to cover it up uh, with with something else. Most people appreciate it when you tell them the truth about where you think they stand. So biblical truth, you will go to hell if you don't receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and friend. Now you could debate what that looks like theologically, you can debate whether that's total annihilation or whether that's a, a, an eternity long suffering or, or just simply an absence from God. You can debate those things. But the truth is, I'm not going to heaven to spend an eternity with Jesus. That's a difficult thing, and sometimes we try not to talk about that. But it's true. And people, there was, a, remember me saying this, I've said it twice now in sermons over the, over the years. John you know Penn and Teller, the, the, the magicians, Penn and Teller. One's a big guy, ponytail, I think he had, and the other one doesn't speak. Um, the one that, they're both committed atheists, okay, very, very atheistic. Um, and, and the big one, I don't know whether that's Penn or Tell, I can never remember. Um, he said, He said this. How much must you hate your mother, your brother, your father, your sister, your friends, if you, don't t- if you believe that if they don't, Come to Jesus, they're going to spend eternity in hell. How much must you hate them not to tell them about Jesus? That's from his, that's it's kind of a quote. It, the quote's a little bit more succinct than that. But it's true, isn't it? And that's kind of what Jesus was getting at. It's, it's that, it's, it's that black and white sometimes. How much must you hate them to know that you, if you don't let them know about Jesus, I give them every opportunity to come to faith that their destination is one way. And it's not a good one. Okay. I said earlier that, that we, I have, you know, when I go into meetings and, and I pray and I've got the Holy Spirit, I, th- I, think, I think the very fact that we have the Holy Spirit involved in our lives makes it possible for us to make disciples of all nations. Um, there are a number of other scriptures. This is an interesting one I want to go down now. There are a number of other scriptures that reflect those passages from Matthew 28. And one of them is in John 20 from verse 19. And, and this section of scripture revealed something to me that I'd never seen before. And this is one of those moments where, I, where my little voice may go, but you all did. And I'm going to look really stupid when I say it. <laughs> but, but I don't kind of care. Because the Holy Spirit revealed this to me as something He wants to emphasize. Um, so let's, let's read it, and I'm going to see if you can spot the revelation that I had personally had. So John 20, verse 19, onwards. That evening the disciples gathered together, and because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly Jesus appeared among them and said, peace to you. And then he showed them the, the wounds of his hands and of his sides, and they were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. And he told them, just as the father sent me, I am now sending you. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. So, I don't know whether you have a mollycoddle kind of version of Jesus in your head. I don't. I think Jesus is a bit, he's a carpenter's son. He uses his hand, he's a bit rough, he's a bit ready. He loves you, definitely, but he's truthful in his love. Did you get the bit that there was a bit of a revelation to me? It's good, but no, not that one. It's good, but it's not that one. No, here it is, says that Jesus took a deep breath and blew on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, I've read that scripture loads and that's never, it's like my eyes skip that bit. Now, you might say the Holy Spirit didn't come in power until the parting acts on the day of Pentecost and that's true. He didn't come in power until then, but right here, Jesus blew on them. And he said to them to receive his spirit. So what's going on? Because the day of Pentecost was the day they're supposed to receive his spirit. Not right now. Some theologians have come to the conclusion that that's a symbol of what will happen. It's a symbol of what will happen. It's true. I mean, particularly the cessationists, those who don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit are relevant today. And, and it's actually a nod towards the reality of that day that was coming soon. But when you look at the ancient word used for blue here, it isn't found anywhere else in the New Testament. And you find it first used in the earliest Greek translations of the Old Testament, that's a Septuagint. In Genesis 2, verse 7, where God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And I think that was a divinely inspired use of that Greek word. Because it's saying to us that the beginning of a new creation life came from the breath of Jesus as he blew on his disciples. The mighty wind of Acts 2 was for power. But the breath that Jesus breathed into his disciples in this verse was for life. And that's what we're all called to make when we go out into the world making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are helping form new life. Through that continued breathing of the Holy Spirit into creation itself. The Holy Spirit leads and guides people into new life with him. And we take responsibility as commanded by Jesus to be discipled and disciple others well. And we do all this with what at the heart of it. We do all of it with love at the heart of it. And like I said, next week I'm going to open up what that means for us as we reach out to our neighbours and friends and those who we, we might not yet consider as, as our neighbours. Maybe I was going to leave it to next week, but Pete came up with a really interesting point the other day, which has stayed with me. That, that you have, practically you have your neighbours in your street. They are your neighbours. And, and to some degree we've also talked about neighbours being represented by those we work with. They're kind of our neighbours as well. But our neighbours is where we've planted our church. So as you all part of Freedom Church, these are also your neighbours. And we're to love those as we love ourselves. So that expanding our, our definition almost of what, we, what Jesus meant by neighbours. And so we'll consider that and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about who exactly our neighbours are. Let me just, I'm going to finish. I've just got some questions that I, I want you to write down if you don't mind. Um, I was going to do your sheet, but I didn't get around to doing it. But uh, because, because these, these are all foundational things as, as we build towards being a, a church that is really evangelistic in, in what it does in 2019. So, so as you think about, uh, you can, maybe you'll have to note it, maybe I'll send you this through as PDF. Okay. As you think about the seriousness of discipleship and our responsibility to others, would you consider... How becoming a disciple of Jesus has changed your life. Uh, succinctly, if, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you acknowledge the seriousness of it, and that you are to be discipled, as well as disciples, responsibility to disciple others. How, how has Jesus changed your life towards that aim? What are you doing? Where are you prioritising? Another question, who is discipling you? Who are you allowing to speak into your life in a deep and meaningful way? Now, I went on to write this, but then I deleted it. because I can't remember if it's true or not. And maybe some of you who are more theologically minded can tell me. But I believe it wasn't common for uh, the teacher to go after the, the disciples in Jesus' time. I believe it was more common for the disciples to, to find a teacher and that's what makes it so extraordinary that Jesus called people directly to him. Because normally it was the disciplee's responsibility to find a teacher. So that was unusual for Jesus. But who are you, who are you letting disciple you in your life? It's true about you. it, yeah, yeah, true. Have, have you asked someone? Where, where? Okay, another question. Where is the word of God in your discipling of others? Where, did, where does the Bible, I'm holding my phone because that's where my Bible is. Where does where, the Bible come into it when you disciple others? Do, do you simply allow how you might feel about things to dictate how you disciple others? Or, or do you allow the word of God to shed light on the questions of life and culture? Because we're living in a culture where experience trumps truth. Feelings, sorry, feelings trump truth. How I feel about something is more important than what's true about something. Maybe it's a bad example, but I was watching Question Time the other night. It's always good for a laugh. And... I don't want to get into the ways and whys of the actual point, but this lad at the back of the stadium says that some of the latest surveys have shown that we're the least racist country in the UK, uh, in in Europe. never said there wasn't racism. never said we got rid of it. He just said a recent survey done incidentally by a a, a black professor, so he certainly hadn't got any bias towards it, and he merely said some of the latest surveys said we're one of the least racist in, in Europe. And he got rounded on by people who were accusing him of being racist himself, who's accusing him of how their lies are not true. And what they were what they were doing was they were showing that we are we're shouting at you through our feelings, not through what what the truth is of what you've just said. So that's an example of, of what I'm getting at, that, that we allow our emotions to to, to colour the truth of, of the situation. So let's not do that and let's turn to the word of God. I say, what does the word of God say about this? Through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, what does it say about culture and life in today's society? Got two final points, okay? How do these, how do those key points, you know those key points I talked about that Paul, Paul said about, you know, leave the past behind, move towards the future. Um, uh, where are they, where are they? Let me find them, let me find them. Um, right at the beginning. Uh, you know, no one's perfect, no one's arrived. Uh, Jesus made a claim in our lives, we're not orphans. So that, those points. So how, how do those, those points, those keys that Paul said, how may they, so have a look in that Philippians, how may, may they help order your life? H- how, how would you change how you do what you do, depending on those, those key points? And finally, and you know this is something I'm so passionate about, the local church. I said this morning at the top of the shop, we gather together for worship as we worship that's our battle cry and that, that local church coming together as local church is so important and, and we, we shouldn't just skip it on a whim it should be a priority that we have in our lives and that when, when we miss the gathering together that should be a significant uh, issue because it's so important in today's society, again, one thing I've said before, I'm going to finish very, very soon. Um, you know, we, we live in an age that's coloured by social media. A lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us, is coloured by social media, and then social media colours our news outlets as well. What's social media is saying, people are saying. And, and what we tend to find is that we gather in groups of like minded individuals socially. and And it becomes an echo chamber of our, our own thoughts. Why do you think the extreme left comes? Why do you think the extreme right happens? Because people. Inhabit an echo chamber of their own thoughts, and, and and colour themselves with people who think like they do, and don't dare step out of that box and be challenged by alternative views. Whether you like them, find them despicable or not, they're not. Ch- you're not challenged, and that is a great strength of church. That we it is a place for iron to sharpen iron. Now, from somebody who speaks from the front, I see some furrowed brows quite a bit. And I go, you're not quite sure what I've just said there. That's fine. Isn't that a good thing? That you can go away, you can question, you can ask, you can find out for yourselves. You don't get that by going, well, we're just church because we meet around the breakfast table and have you know, breakfast together. No, because you're all mates and you all think the same thing, generally. But for people who we're not that close to, to be able to come and be challenged by, I think is a hugely positive thing. If only our political system. Uh, was, was like that, that we were able to voice things that, that we might disagree with. But let's see why they're saying them. So the question, the final one is then, where is the value and the place of the local church in discipleship? Where is the value and the place of the local church in discipleship? Bless you guys. I'm done. I'm through. I'm, I'm, I'm through. Um, so next week, I'm going, to, I'm going to expand upon the kind of loving, loving others. Uh, and we'll go into that a little bit more. God, how do you want us to end this morning? Let's stand up. Let's stand together, shall we? Let's stand together. And um, I'd, like, I'd like, if he's all right with this, Paul, because I'm that jumping in the deep end kind of guy, can you, can you come and pray for us as a church? And anything that spoke to you about what I've said, you want to pray that out as well. That'd be great. Paul's a hugely prophetic guy, by the way. So is Lisa. Lisa's hugely pastoral as well, but Paul's a hugely prophetic guy, and I want to recognise that gifting him. So he may even pray and prophesy right now, but whatever. Let the Holy Spirit take over, Paul.
1: Yeah, Lord, thank you that, um, yeah, we've heard your word this morning. Yeah, I just want to encourage everyone to, for what you've heard Mark bring today, it's not the word of Mark, it's the word of God. Yes. And he's brought some very profound things to, to take seriously and to take away, and I encourage everyone to, <coughs> to do that and to consider that. Yeah. Yes, Lord. Thank you, God. Yes, Lord. So, Lord, we submit ourselves to you, Lord God. We submit ourselves to you today. We give you honour and we give you praise. And I pray, Lord, that the challenges that you brought us today, about who is discipling us and about who we are discipling, Lord, we would take away those things and ponder them and and seek, seek you, Lord, in your wisdom in these things, Lord God. Lord you are a God of, who loves us pre- amazingly Lord God and your heart is for us and so yeah I just commit your people today Lord as we go out into this week Lord God yeah yes Lord Lord I thank you that you're exc- I'm just sensing God's excitement over this community right now I'm just in God's Heart of love and passion for this people, for you, to this morning. He's, he's excited about what's to come. You know, Mark talked earlier about the past, being the past. And God's got great excitement for the future, for what we're about to walk into. So my encouragement this morning is embrace it. Embrace yeah. what God's got ahead for us, what we're walking into. Yeah. Thank you, God. Yeah, so I just commit these people to you this week, Lord God. Yes, yes Lord God, we just honour you. And, yeah, for every person here and all the children that are outside this room right now, Lord, for them as well, that they would just know your presence with them, Lord God, this week. They would know your empowering, they would know your breath of life in them, Lord God. And they would, uh, yeah, enter this week, Lord. Um, and, Lord... <laughs> powerful disciples lord god um yeah yeah in jesus name amen
0: um, during the worship i had a picture and i wasn't quite sure when to share it but now's the right time i saw an elastic band and um it was being stretched and i just want to encourage you you know this is stretching but you're not going to snap You know, we soak in the Holy Spirit and that softens us. So soak in the Holy Spirit, just be with Him. He loves you, you know, He loves you. This isn't going to snap you. It's going to stretch you, yeah, but it's not going to snap you. So just remember the elastic band. Awesome, awesome, so good. Thank you, Lise. In this house, we are real. But
1: we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone.
0: And we also have lots of fun.
1: In this house, we definitely forgive.
0: We also do
1: loud. We give the best hugs.
0: We are family. And in this house, that means we we love.